Well, in Noelle's kind introduction of me, she mentioned that Laurie and I came from California, which is true. But our native homeland is Oklahoma. And occasionally I like to tell some Oklahoma stories because that's part of who I am. I actually grew up on a cattle ranch, a modest one, but a cattle ranch in Oklahoma. When our parents purchased the ranch, you're required after you've purchased a ranch to register the brand, the name of the ranch with the local ranching agencies and law enforcement in case your cattle don't ha- you are branded, in case they wander off or someone steals them, they can be relocated and, and returned to you. So my dad was a whimsical sort of a guy, and, he, is, and his, he and mom thought about what to name our ranch. They thought, well, we borrowed the money for this ranch, so here's our brand. There it is, the I borrow. <laughs> we had the only cattle in the region who wandered around advertising their leverage status. There's another story from the ranching world I want to share. This one is likely not true. The first one was true. A couple bought a ranch in Wyoming, and a friend asked the man, he says, what's the name of your ranch? And he says, well, my wife and I have really struggled on how to name this ranch and what to name it, so we finally came up with a a name. We're calling it the Double R, Lazy L, Triple Horseshoe, Bar 7, Lucky Diamond Ranch. The friend was impressed, but kind of shook his head and said, that's a long brand. By the way, where are your cattle? The rancher replied, well, we had quite a few, but none of them survived the branding. (laughs) My real goal in this second in the series on serving others that Dan began last week. Because we have a lot of ground to cover over the next very few weeks about serving other people, who to serve, how to serve, why we serve, today I want just a simple understanding. I want us to survive the branding, that this is not a complicated thing. Our approach in serving others is the approach that we find modeled by the life and ministry of Jesus, the the way he humbly and directly served people. In the account of rich young ruler that I just read for us, two things stand out. One is this man's sense of solid insight. He wanted eternal life. He gets, after all, the issue. And the second observation from this text is that Jesus treated him as a serious inquirer. Jesus probed him with provocative questions. And he said to him, you're not ready until you sell your possessions to be my follower. So I'm asking you to go and sell everything you have and give your money to the poor. After you have done that, you can follow me. This is tough stuff. I mean, there's no way out of this for this rich young man. Actually, some of the other people that Jesus called had it a good bit easier. If you were Andrew or you were Peter 
And Jesus said, come and follow me, and you dropped your fishing nets and you followed him. I mean, after all, if this thing didn't work out, they could always go back to fishing. It's what they knew they could survive. Jesus is asking this man to give up everything he had, which is all he had known. This was a wealthy person who knew not wealth. And so if he gives away everything he has, what's he going to do? What are his skills? Where does he start? When we hear this passage, we tend to automatically, reflexively think, this is a condemnation of wealth. This is Jesus saying, if you have a lot of money, you're supposed to give it all up. That's really not what this passage is about. What the passage is about is the serious, profound concern that Jesus expects us to have for other people. That's the point of this man selling all that he had so that the poor in the area could be helped. The point, really, of this text is, if you want to follow Jesus, he wants all of us all of us, not just pieces of our life. I'm quite sure this man would have been happy to have bargained. I'm quite sure he was prepared to say, can't do all, but I can do half. Can't do all, I could do some, Jesus. What Jesus read in him was an unwillingness to follow him to where this logically leads, which is in the service of other people. The disciples had their own struggles with such things. I mean, they did. For the disciples, their battle was for their place at the table, their sense of prestige, their sense of who could be closest to Jesus. But in Jesus' kingdom, and he emphasized this over and over and over again, in Jesus' kingdom, those who want to become great will become least of all. And those who want to become great will become servants of all. All people, Jesus said, all people in my kingdom are endowed with God-given dignity. And we will be about the business of serving them. The last will be first. The first will be last. That's the thing this young man couldn't get his arms around and say yes to. He couldn't say yes. He couldn't stand the thought of downward mobility. Actually, none of us naturally like the idea of downward mobility. We know we're called as Christians to serving other people, and we do serve people. We try to serve them as they come our way, We serve our children. That's a natural thing for us to do. We give to certain charities that we care about or from we give to charities or maybe do a walk or something from a cause that something afflicts someone we know or care for. But rare is the person who signs up for true, actual, downward mobility. The rich young man He's not alone in this. We don't want to descend into the lives of difficult, hurting people. There's 
just no incentive for us to naturally do that. Now, already in what I've said this morning, some of you are feeling a flood of guilt. Here comes the message. We're not serving enough. The brand of this message is to get busy and to feed off of this great guilt you have that you're never doing enough in life. Let me just tell you, there's plenty of guilt to go around for a lot of reasons. Some of us, for better or worse, in different measures, were raised with plenty of guilt. A friend of mine, perhaps unkindly, but speaking of his mother, said that if it weren't for guilt, she wouldn't have an emotional life at all. (laughs) Maybe that's our situation. Trust me, if guilt got the job done, the job would be getting done. Because there's plenty of guilt in our world, plenty of guilt in the Christian community. If guilt worked as a motivation for service, we would all be serving. What we need is not more guilt. What we need is a new way of seeing, of seeing that in God's economy, in the way God works in our world, those who experience the most joy in life are those who have made the transition from being served to serving. You see, it's quite the opposite of guilt. Guilt isn't a motivator, but joy is a motivator. And the transition that needs to happen is the transition from being served to serving. And when we have made that transition, when we have served other people, And many of you have experienced this. When we have served other people, when we have gotten involved in people's lives, when we have done something missionally, when we have served at the church or in the broader community, we actually experience the blessing of doing what God created us to do. So how do we get there? How do we get to that place where we experience the joy and understand what we're called to do? The beginning place is the beginning place of humility. I'm going to date myself here and and others of you who will participate in this little exercise. But how many of you remember March 1981 when President Reagan was shot? How many of you remember that? Those of you who didn't raise your hands, you're officially young people. March 1981, President Reagan was shot. It was a bad day in America. There was tremendous uncertainty about what would happen. In the beginning, we were told that he wasn't actually shot, but they simply rushed him into the car for uh, precautionary measures. We then later found out, shortly later, that he indeed had been shot. He was shot in the lung and he was undergoing emergency surgery at George Washington Hospital. There he faced mortal danger with a bullet in his lung. Surgery was performed. The president survived. This older man survived. And the nation was sort of breathing deep for a day or two that the president of the United States was going to be okay. The most important person 
in the most significant, powerful country on earth was out of action. And collectively, the nation, for a brief time, held its breath, trusting, hoping that everything would be all right. Actually, within a few days, everything was just fine. The president was recuperating. It would take him several weeks to do so. But the mechanisms of government went just fine. The process worked. All was well. That's part of what happened on a given day in March 1981. What we don't remember about that same time, and actually on the very same day of March 1981, the garbage collectors in the city of Philadelphia went on strike. The people of Philadelphia experienced that within a few weeks. And it lingered in Philadelphia week after week after week. Garbage piled up in their city. The president of the United States was shot. They did just fine. The garbage collectors went on strike and their lives were miserable as their streets were filled with rotting garbage. So it leads to an obvious question. So who's more important? The president or a trash collector? The surprising answer, if you had asked someone from the city of Philadelphia, the answer would have been obvious to them. We really need somebody to get the trash out of our streets. See, we, we get things backwards in our culture, in our world. We will celebrate celebrities tonight at the Oscars. We will celebrate great wealth. The people who um, seem to matter the most are always the rich and the famous. It's another way in the gospel. It's another way in the way Jesus sees the world. I want you to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. It'll appear on the screens. Here Paul is writing about the events of the incarnation of Jesus. This incredibly profound, mysterious, wondrous event when Jesus and the council of the Godhead assumed human form. Paul writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not count equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Imagine pre-incarnation in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this unbelievable 
impossible to fully understand perfection that the Trinity shared together. One God in three persons enjoying perfect harmony, perfect relationship, perfect joy in a perfect place. Imagine that. And then imagine giving it up. There's a Greek word in this text. It's a word called, the word itself is called harpagmos. It's a mystery word. I remember in one of my first classes in seminary, the professor asked us to do all the research and look through all the Greek and all the commentaries and tell us in a paper what harpagmos means. The struggle was that when you did that, commentators were all over the place. There, were some, there was some agreement, but there was also some, what could this word possibly mean? Because the whole concept is so hard to understand that literally, literally, Jesus, who being God, did not count equality with God something to be seized upon or grasped. That's the consensus meaning of the word. It would be like holding on to a rope suspended over a canyon and having all the power you need to climb the rope to a place of safety. There was actually no threat to you. But there was this dramatic moment when Jesus did not count equality with God, something to be seized or grabbed onto, held onto, and he just for our sake just let the rope go in the act of ultimate downward mobility. He humbled himself in obedience to the will of the Trinity, and he took this step of downward mobility, and he came to us. We tend to think of humility as almost false modesty in the world in which we live in. When you're not a self-promoter and you're humble, people wonder sort of what's wrong with you now. When we do think of humility, we often think in terms of, well, people are just better than me. That's not an issue of humility. That's an issue of self-image because People aren't better than us. God sees us and loves us the same. But what we are called to do, and what Jesus did and what is the essential task of the servant, is not to think that other people are better than us, but rather to think that their needs are to be placed ahead of our own They're not better than us, whoever they are. But their needs, in the Christian understanding, their needs come before our own. That's the Christian understanding of this. That's Christian humility. That's the model of what Jesus was seeking to get across to the rich young man. Sometimes... It's challenging to define what humility is, and it's better to just explain it through what you've seen. When we came to Christ Church from a church in California, Laurie and I um, 
experienced this very large church that did some things that were really wonderful and also did some things that were maybe a little bit over the top. One of them was that on an occasional basis, we staged an Oscar-type event to honor our volunteers. It really was a lot of fun. And we went all out to do it. We invited all of our volunteers. We mimicked the Oscars as much as we could. We wore black tie. Women were in evening gowns. We had a red carpet. We had searchlights outside. We had fake paparazzi taking pictures as, as they came, of people as they came in. We thought of everything. We had awards in every category. We had outstanding achievement in child care, outstanding achievement in ushering. Maybe we'll do that for you all someday. We had outstanding achievement in serving coffee. Whatever it was in the volunteer scale of our church, we honored people. And in all of our pre-meetings, we had a long discussion about who would get best volunteers, either the best volunteer or best volunteers. And we all agreed on the same two people. This crowning award was going to happen at the end of the evening. And we had all agreed that people named Jim and Ruby, a husband and wife, were certainly deserving of this award. Both of them worked every Saturday night and every Sunday morning for years. Nobody could even remember when they took a weekend off. Jim and Ruby were um, head of our parking lot ministry. Jim had a yellow vest on, and he had the little things in his hand, waving cars to their places. He took that job so seriously. He was an outstanding parking lot attendant, and he did it with a smile. Ruby, who had a slight uh, physical infirmity, drove a golf cart around picking up people who needed extra help. So we were proud to honor Jim and Ruby. And we told them, by the way, please come tonight we knew them as humble people, but we said, please come tonight. We didn't tell them exactly what we were going to do to honor them, but please come. We'd like to have you honored along with some other people. They reluctantly said that they would come. Well, as the presentation went on, the night went on, um, there's no Jim and Ruby. So we're wondering, anxious, where are they? So one of our folks called Jim's cell phone. He answered, he said, oh, I'm sorry, we're running late. Uh, we're on our way. We stopped to help somebody along the side of the road. We'll get there as soon as we can. Well, they never arrived. And so we scrubbed that portion of another lives flawless evening. It wasn't until the next morning when the person that they had helped called us at the church office and said, I'd like to talk to somebody about some people who go to your church. Their names are Jim and Ruby. They put the call into me, and I just sat there and smiled. It turns out that Jim and Ruby were coming in on Interstate 80. They passed this car, a mother with several children in the car, broken down on the side of the freeway. They stopped to help. They tried to fix the car. They couldn't. Jim and Ruby then put those people in their car, because they needed to get back to Nevada. And so they drove them 100 miles to Reno, Nevada, over the Sierras in a snowstorm to take them back home. 
Then Jim and Ruby drove back to Sacramento late at night, and then obviously were too late to come to the big event. When I was talking with the woman, she said, I've never met people like Jim and Ruby. They wouldn't take money for gas. They stopped and fed us. When I asked them, why are you doing this? They looked at me and just said, we're Christians. That's what we do. They chatted some more. She found out the name of their church and thus why she was able to call us. And then she asked me on the phone, are all the people in your church like Jim and Ruby? I said, no, not yet. (laughs) Jim and Ruby are just two of the people in God's great kingdom who understand what service means. I actually can never imagine myself being that selfless, but I am inspired by their example. I do know at least we had made the right choice for volunteers of the year. How's your serve? Does it need some work? The first step in serving is not a complicated branding process. The first step in serving is praying our way toward genuine humility, which, remember, is not thinking lowly of ourselves. It's simply thinking first of the needs of others. That's the message of our faith. That's the brand and beginning of the Christian who desires to serve, all made possible because of the example of the one who did not account his equality with God something to be held on to. But he came to this earth for us, for people like us, for people not like us, because he loved us so. Let's pray. God, thank you for the privilege of the teachings of your scriptures. They really do clarify for us what matters in life. Help us to help us to live into them. It's not enough to hear it. Help us to live into it. And may we and may our church be distinguished by the powerful brand of serving other people. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.